Father, we are grateful for what you have done for us. You saved us. You rescued us. You took us from a life of slavery to sin and into a new promise and a new life. So, Lord, as we just see that, um, we see that story unfold literally uh, with your people in slavery here in Exodus. We know that that's our story, too. And we're thankful for your rescue and your exodus from one life to another. So we give you praise for that. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Let's remain standing, if you will, as we go before the text this morning. We are in Exodus 12. We've been doing this thing for it's about three months now, Exodus 12. We're, we're on the back end here. Um, and we're going to look at a few uh, verses towards the end of Exodus 12. We're actually going to look specifically at the Exodus itself, uh, the description of the people leaving Egypt and heading out. Just a few verses, uh, chapters 12, verses 37 through 42. A small little chunk here, but you'll see why here in a second. But again, let's, uh, before we go to the text, let's, uh, let's pray that ancient prayer called Shema, uh, which is out of Deuteronomy 6, a prayer that helps us focus and, and, and recommit before we hear from God's words again. So say it after me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Exodus 12, uh, starting in verse 37, 37 to 42, it says this. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot. There was about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelites' people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yesterday was a very tiring day for our family because it was my son's uh, eight-year-old birthday, and so we had an eight-year-old boy's birthday party in March, indoors, confined. I, I tell them, I wish you were born like in August or June. We could be running outside, and you could jump on our trampoline and get all your energy out, but no, you were born in March, and so your birthday parties are this enclosed in our house, um, it was destructive. I mean, like literally destructive. Things, many things, many toys, many things were broken in two hours. It is, it is quite amazing. But it, of course, whenever a, a birthday party uh, or a birthday comes along, you think back on uh, your child and just sort of the, the progress he's made and um, just sort of the journey he's been on, this eight-year journey for him. It actually reminded me of... of um, of a story about five years ago. He's about three, three and a half at the time. And it was very early in the morning that day, emphasis on early, and I awoke to the sounds of soft whimpering coming from his room. 
So I lumbered out of bed. I zombie walked kind of down the hall to find Micah sitting up in his bed sniffling as he clutched his special bear philbin. And I asked him, I said, what's the matter, buddy? And with crocodile tears streaming down his face, he exclaimed, I'm sad we missed the ice cream truck. Now, backstory. The ice cream truck comes in the summer. This was the winter. This was like six months ago that this happened. But we have this ice cream truck that drives around our neighborhood during the summer. And Molly and I decided that the kids, so obviously every time they hear this annoying do your ears hang low song in a key that nobody should ever use for a song like that, whenever they hear that song, it's like almost manic, like the ice cream truck is coming, you know, and like, and we had, my my wife and I had to figure out how do we figure this, because it's not just like this, because they're going to come like four times a day, right? Like they're coming and it's like, no, we cannot get ice cream four times a day. No, we can't even get ice cream every day, right? And so we had to figure out how do we kind of uh, decide when to say yes, when to say no. And so we came up with this idea that uh, the kids would help us with bottles and cans to save up money and that when we had enough money in the jar, then we would be ready to have the ice cream. A, a brilliant mark of parenting, uh, we thought. Like, this is going to be great, right? So, all right, so they put the, they did the cans. My, my son's all excited because he just loves ice cream. So he did all the cans. All right, we got the money and, and now we've got enough money sitting in the jar the next time we hear the, that, that sound, uh, we can go. Now, here's the problem with this particular ice cream truck. The guy drives way too fast. He does not give enough time to linger. We've actually calculated that by the time you hear the song, you have about 20 seconds. And if you don't get out there in 20 seconds, he is, dr- he is driven by and that is, that is it. So we're at 20 seconds. So we learned there's no time for shoes. There's no, whatever you're wearing, you're wearing. That is it. There's no time to boot. And you are, you hear it, you run to the jar. But we learned it the hard way in this particular time. We heard it. We tried to put on, you know, we tried to throw on something. We tried to get our shoes. And we get out there and we miss the ice cream truck. We've been building, we've been doing the bottles and cans, and my three-year-old son, he runs out with his $2 bills waving as the truck has passed. And I'm telling you, there is nothing sadder in the entire world than watching a three-year-old crying, running down the street after the ice cream truck who does not see him and turns, turns off our street and is gone. There is nothing sadder in the world than a three-year-old boy with his two little $2 bills crying and sobbing because he missed the ice cream truck. Now, apparently, this had become a damaging, regressed memory that he was bringing up six months late. Now, the end of the story is, like, literally two hours later, three hours later, the ice cream truck came back around and we caught it. We caught it that time around. But there was something, again, there's like this regressed memory of him missing it that one time, this, like, damaging, he's going to be in counseling 30 years from now, Every time he hears that song, it's going to trigger this memory in his brain. He's got so he's crying six months later in his bed because of that one time that he missed the ice cream truck for like two hours, right? And so I'm going, you know, I'm half asleep. And so I do all the things I could think of to comfort him. 
I rationally told him, this was six months ago, buddy. It was over. You eventually did get the ice cream. Everything, I I rationally tried to answer all of his questions, and nothing helped. And finally, with, with wet eyes, he asked, he just simply asked, will you lay with me? And that was it. The answers didn't help. The rationale didn't help. The explanation and the reminder that he did eventually get the thing he was sad about. Nothing else. All, the only thing that comforted him was my presence. And so I climbed up his bunk bed. <laughs> and, I, and I just laid with him. And he drifted back to sleep. All he needed was my presence, my visual. He needed to know that he was loved. And today in Exodus 12, we are going to look specifically at this concept because that's really where the Israelites were. In Exodus 12, we're going to look specifically of them coming out of Egypt. It must have been incredibly, think about it, incredibly scary and stressful, this life-changing moment. They have known nothing in their lives except for slavery. And this is the first night that they are rushing out They go from Ramesses to Sukkot. And can you imagine that first night in Sukkot thinking, what have we done? Oh my, like this life change. I mean, they are on their own for the first time. They had all the answers. They knew all the right truths. But what they needed was God's presence, his visual. They needed to know that they were loved. In 1 John 4, 9, John asked the question, how do we know that we are loved by God? And today we're going to answer that question. This text kind of helps us with that. You might be thinking, hey, I'm reading Exodus 12 and you're kind of, um, uh, you're kind of burying the lead because Exodus 12 is all about the, that final plague, the firstborn plague, where you jumped, you jumped that to get to here. You're right. But next week, if you look at Exodus 13, next week is all about this little chapter about firstborns. So we're actually going to hit that a little bit more next week when we looked at this whole big concept of firstborns and what it signified. So, so if you're looking at Exodus 12, you're going, you've, Brian, you kind of uh, buried the lead here. You're right, but we'll get to it. We'll be, there. we'll be there next week when we're in Exodus 13, and we'll look back on Exodus 12 to the firstborns as it comes today. But today we're going to ask that question, how do we know that God loves us? Or as First John says, how do we know that we are loved by God? I think this, this initial night under the stars, away from Egypt for the first time, helps us do that. Okay, so one of the major holidays celebrated by Jews, even today, is the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or its Hebrew name here, the Feast of Sukkot. Okay, and that should ring a bell, because this is the name of the town that they, or the village that they stayed in that very first night. Sukkot means a tent, a booth, a tabernacle. That's the, the, um, the Hebrew word for it. A lean-to, a shanty, an animal shack. You call it your sukkah. We have Jewish friends that live on our street. And uh, around October time, every year, we will see them setting up their sukkah in their backyard. We actually were invited a few years ago to one of their sukkah meals. And we got to eat, see the, you know, be under their sukkah, be under their, their tabernacle, their tent, their their, their dwelling, their shelter, their animal shack, kind of, a, kind of an idea here. 
Sukkot is the holiday that Sukkot is this holiday that celebrates this time when Israel's ancestors lived in tents as they left Egypt. So that's what they're commemorating every year when they do that. Again, up even today, they will build tents, they'll build shelters, dwelling places in their backyards to remember that their ancestors, when they left Egypt, they stayed in these similar kind of tent, kind of shanty, uh, animal dwelling place, uh, little huts or shelters on that first night when they came to that village of Sukkot. Leviticus 23, it gives us a little more information. It says this. this in Leviticus, it actually gives the, the, the command to, to make this celebration. So it's explaining this festival and what you're supposed to do. It's, it's commanding the people, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so Leviticus is kind of explaining, okay, you're going to do this ritual. You're going to do it for seven days. And why are you going to do it? You're going to live in these shelters because you're going to remember that when I brought the people out of Egypt, they had to live in these shelters. In fact, I called them to a town. The first place they stayed was basically Shantytown, a Sukkot. They, they literally stayed in Sukkot, in Sukkot. And so you're going to do that. Every year for seven days, you are going to live in these booths, in these tabernacles, in these shelters, in these animal huts, in order to remember that that's what your ancestors did. They came out of Egypt and they stayed in these little huts and things uh, in literally the town that's named for it. So they, to, still to this day, Jews build booths, tents, tabernacles, sukkahs to commemorate it. But we actually know more. There's actually a backstory to the backstory. We actually know more about this town in Genesis. We actually learn how this town was established and why it was named the way it was. Come back with me to, uh, to Genesis. Now in Genesis 33, we actually learn what that, how that town was established and why it was called that. It says this, Jacob, however, went to Sukkot, where he, had built, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. Okay, he built for himself a house and made booths or shelters for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. So we learn in Genesis that Jacob... And what, what kind of happened is, is uh, we encounter this story of Jacob when he flees his father-in-law. He's running away from his father-in-law. So one of the first places he comes to is this town called Sukkot. And the Bible tells us why he called it that. That he showed up and he built for himself. Notice he built for himself a place, like an actual real house, an actual real place you would stay in. But for his livestock, he made them boots. That's that word, Sukkot or Sukkot. Sukkah. Therefore, he actually named the whole village, the whole place that he stayed is Sukkot. Because my guess is that he had a place, and then for all his livestock, he bought all these little lean-to shanties, all these sukkahs, all these little tents, these animal dwellings for his livestock. And so he just kind of named the town that. Okay, so this is, again, quite literally shanty town. This is, this is the tent town. This is where I built all of these little things, all these little places 
form out. So the, 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 the leading guess is that many, if not all of those dwellings still were there because that you, you just kind of housed animals there. This is kind of where, it, it's a shanty town, quite literally. And so the Israelites, they come out of Egypt and the first place they land huh, is Sukkot. This is where they go. And Leviticus tells us God had them live in the temporary shelters. So Leviticus is giving us more information of what's going on. I want you to live in booths, says God, because I had my ancestors live in those booths when they were at Sukkot. Call, literally call the festival the festival of Sukkot, the, festival of ta- the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Sukkah or Sukkot. Because when I brought them out of Egypt, they actually had to stay in shantytown. And they had to live in these little dwelling places. And so you're going to, so you're going to remember that. Does that make sense? So we, we track it. Here's the big difference, though. The difference was, while Jacob built a place for himself and separate huts for the cattle, there weren't swept separate dwelling places for the Israelites. This is what Leviticus tells us. The Israelites slept in the sukkahs, too. They slept in the, the temporary things. That night, literally animals and people, assuming, we're assuming this now, slept together. Right? They didn't, they didn't show up and get to build a bunch of places like Jacob. Jacob built a place for himself and then separately kind of like, well, I'm not sleeping with them. I'll, be like, I'll, make, some, I'll make some tents for them. But when you've got, what was it? We read it. When you've got like these thousands of people, right? Six, oh, 600,000 men on foot. You don't have enough places to keep all those people. So what do you do? You actually live in the, the huts too. That very first night as they're on their way, they all don't have places to stay. And so they sleep. And we're told they brought, what did they bring in our passage? They brought lots of livestock, right? Many other people went up with them. Also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. So get cozy, friends, <laughs> right? Get cozy. You know, it might be cold. Curl up to your favorite lamb. Curl up to your favorite uh, uh, cow. I don't know, you know, whatever it was, right? Like get warm because this is the only place you get to be. Leviticus says, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord. That's what they're to remember. It's that first night. The people slept in animal shacks with the animals themselves. Now again, can you imagine what you might be thinking if you're one of those Israelites that first night. You're laying there. In God knows what the conditions of these temporary shelters looked like. Bessie over here isn't smelling too good. It might be cold. You've got this unleavened bread. And you're laying there for the first night out of Egypt. Wouldn't you be absolutely scared out of your mind? Wouldn't you be? What? I wonder if I laid there, I'd be like, what did we do? Look at us. I got Bessie to my left. I got Sheepy on my right. I'm in this little lean-to. I've got this unleavened bread. This is what, this was what we were working towards? This is, this is it? 
I might be laying there going and tempted to go. And we do hear later on that they start to dream back about Egypt. Go remember Egypt. Oh man, we had fruit, we had shelter over our our heads. Sure, yeah, the slavery thing, right? That you know, that was pretty bad. But at least we got meals, not this unleavened bread. At least we got to sleep in, in a bed and didn't have to lay next to, to Bessie here. What did, what did we do? On the first night of freedom, God had them lay with smelly, uncomfortable animals to remind them that even when life is scary and hard and unpredictable, when life has you sleeping in animal huts, he was with them. And this is why the last part of the passage is so important. The Lord, Exodus 12, 42, the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. The Lord was with them. And so it says, once a year, throughout the generations, you are to also keep watch that night so that you will remember that I was with you when you were laying there terrified next to the animals in these temporary shelters, totally afraid and have no idea what was coming next. The Lord kept watch over them. And now every year, your ancestors will do this. They'll sleep in their own tents and they'll keep watch and vigil to remember that God was with them in the midst of the most terrifying moment of their lives. The most difficult, challenging, immaterial in huts with animals, smelly, on their way to Who knows that the Lord kept vigil. God kept vigil and was present with his people. And so then they were to commemorate it, there it is, in the holiday of Sukkot. But the story actually continues. Because after they leave Sukkot, they encamp again and again and again. They actually wander the wilderness for 40 years. They're not building houses out in the desert. So they have had, they learned, they figured out how to kind of, I don't know if they took the shanties with them or they somehow figured out what to do, but they had to encamp for 40, wandering around, never having a permanent structure, always kind of living out of these sukkahs for 40 years. They went through a 40-year journey of doing that. Just like that first night, though, God continued to be with them. He said to them, hey, if you're going to camp for 40 years, you're going to go on a long camping trip, I'll camp with you too. Check out Exodus 25 later in. God commands the people, commands Moses and the people. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, he says, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle, this Sukkot, And all its furnishings exactly to the pattern I will show you. And so what they do, and a big part of Exodus at the end, is God giving them the design for a tabernacle. Literally a tent that was portable and you could move around because they were going to wander the desert for 40 years. And God said, okay, if you don't get a permanent structure, I won't either. 
You make for yourself a tabernacle, and you camp, and I'll camp. I will continue. It's just not one night at Sukkot. I'm actually going to continue to be with you. What is Exodus 27? Have them make me a sanctuary, a, a, t- a tabernacle, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. Make this Sukkot, this, this Sukkah, this tabernacle, and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then he gives it. He gives that pattern. The word tabernacle here, again, it's the same word as sukkah, a tent. God tabernacled with them. He pitched his tent. You're living in your sukkah, so I will be with you and I'll live in mine. So not only does sukkah commemorate a specific night when God was with them, but God continued to dwell with them and as they camped for 40 years. And they indeed continued to keep vigil of this season of sukkah for generations to come. All the way through, Till the time of Jesus. Jesus celebrated Sukkot. I mean, they still celebrate it today, obviously, right? So it, it came through. But have you heard anything that sounds familiar about things that Jesus might have done? When John, when John describes the birth of, of Christ in John 1, what does he say? Do we have any good uh, KGVers in the, in the audience that would like to? And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Or, for you NIV or ESV folk, the word became flesh and made its dwelling. John actually takes this imagery and says, this is what ultimately what happens when God dwells amongst his people. Christ himself came and tabernacled with us, dwelled with us, was present with us, kept vigil with us. God literally moved into the neighborhood. Through Jesus Christ. He literally came down and lived us. And think about this. When Jesus was born, where was he born? He was placed in a manger, which is a watering trough for animals. That's what a manger is. Mary and Joseph had to resort to a place where the animals stayed. We use the word stable, but the Hebrew word for this type of place is a sukkah. Mary and Joseph, they come to Bethlehem. They don't go to a hotel. There are no hotels in Bethlehem. Okay, we can talk to me after if we want to. There are no innkeepers in the Christmas story. Okay, Bethlehem had like less than a thousand people in it. There were no Motel 6s in Bethlehem. Talk to me after. I'll talk you through that. They knock on door after door after door and nobody has room in their guest house. So the only place they can go is a place where the animals are kept. And so they go to a sukkah. And Jesus is literally born in a sukkah as he tabernacles with us and makes his dwelling place known with us. Jesus was born in a place with smelly animals, just like God's people that very first night. John, later on in 1 John, asked that question we asked at the beginning. Same guy. He says, how do we know that we are loved by God? He gives us the answer. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How do we know that we are loved? It's because God sent himself 
to dwell among us, to tabernacle with us, to be in the smelly tent with us. To say, I'm here, I've kept vigil, I will be with you. When life has you in a sukkah, I'll come and live there too. I'm not going to necessarily take away the challenge, but I'll be there with you. I, I can't give you all the right answers right now. You might not even accept a rationale, but will you lay with me? Quite literally, Jesus was laid in a sukkah and said, I'll be with you too. Friends, life has, has us sleeping in huts with the animals sometimes. We have untimely death. We have diagnosis. We have physical and mental sickness. We have separation and struggle and worry. We have things that we have built and cultivated that come to an end. And we have seasons of life where, man, if we're like those Israels laying on our back going, what? What is going on? I've got unleavened bread smelling. You know, like, this whole thing stinks, God. This whole situation stinks. And I know for some of you, you're, you're, you're you know, we have a nice breakfast at IHOPE, but it stings. It's, it stinks. It smells. And Jesus says, listen, I don't have all the answers right now for why. And maybe it wouldn't even matter if I did give you the rational. But I'll tell you what. I'll lay with you instead. I'll lay with you when where you're at really stinks. And it's not fun. As we lay in our animal shacks, the greatest comfort is asking God, will you lay with me? And so Jesus was wrapped in a swaddling cloth and laid in a manger right next to you. Jesus knows what it's like to be in those huts because he was born in one, the God of the universe, born in one to be with you in your really stinky moments too. Let's call the band up as we finish up.